welcome to Night Light. Step away from the mainstream and gather around as we enlighten the world and our realities and travel this cosmic journey we call life. Join us as we share with you and provide that beacon that can guide us all to a better way. Explore with us as we examine a metaphysical montage of spiritual insights covering everything from the mundane to the magical, UFOs to unicorns, and everything in between. This is a time of awakening, of sharing and evolving, of spreading our wings and soaring on the cosmic breath of creation. Come and join with other light-minded spirits as we weave our lights together to seek understanding, enlightenment, and with a little luck, some wisdom. This is Nightlight, a reminder that you are never alone. Everybody. Glad you could join me today because I have a really super show in, in line here for you. I want to thank first, though, Ken Quiethawk for his amazing intro. You can find him on the Internet under Native Storytellers. He and his wife have a, a magnificent way of preserving history, and since so much of the show is about preserving history, how it's been preserved, certainly looking into what the, the Native Americans have used for their history and, and preservation of their cosmology is, is definitely a direction everybody should go. And in many ways, the Native Americans have a better way of preserving than we do because their stories are far more interesting than the textbooks, which are fast becoming antiques and uh, not being used much anymore at all. I have as a guest tonight Mark Carlotto. He is an aerospace engineer with over 30 years of experience in satellite imaging, remote sensing, signal and image processing, pattern recognition, and app development. He received a Ph.D. in electrical engineering from Carnegie Mellon University and has published over 100 technical articles and written six books. Uh, Before Atlantis is um, the one we're going to be talking about tonight. And for that book, he draws from his unique background and experience, proposed new answers to basic questions concerning human origins, ancient technology, and archaeological enigmas. Um, it's, it, sounds, it sounds very heavy-duty technical, and I promise you it's not. Um, his book is, is just an enlightening book, and, and it's one that I think everybody should read. Let me give you a little capsule. What is ancient sites such as Machu Picchu, Chichen Itza, and Acropolis, the Temple Mount, are not only thousands of years old, but much, much older? Until recently, a lack of hard evidence has led mainstream archaeologists to dismiss theories of past civilizations as pseudoscientific attempts to resurrect ancient myths and legends. However, I love the however, New archaeological discoveries continue to challenge conventional explanations. Inspired by Charles Hapgood's hypothesis that ice ages were the result of shifts in the geographic location of Earth's poles, 
independent researcher and author Mark Carlotto has discovered that certain archaeological sites throughout the world are aligned to what appear to have been four previous positions of the North Pole over the last 100,000 years. By analyzing their geometry, he argues that these sites were built tens of thousands of years ago by an unknown prehistoric civilization who aligned them relative to the position of the North Pole at the time of construction. Destroyed and rebuilt many times over, what exists today are more recent structures that were built over and around the ruins of earlier structures, preserving the layout and orientation of the original site to the older pole. Before Atlantis considers the possibility that a previous technology, technological civilization could have developed from an earlier migration of modern humans out of Africa, which later coexisted with our primitive primitive hunter-gatherer ancestors, and that past encounters with the older civilization were the source of ancient myths and legends of powerful gods, lost continents, and even perhaps Atlantis. The book is amazing. I highly recommend it, and I welcome you to the show, Mark. Thank you so much for spending your time with us today. Hi, Barbara. Nice to be here. Well, your book your your book got me. It really did. I I had uh you you have come up with a philosophy, a theory and and a scientific fact that while I knew about it, um I had never put it together with um ancient sites and the shifting and and things like that. So for those who are not um archaeologically um PhDs, which is most of my audience, uh, including me, I I would love to 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 find out where where did your aha moment come? Were you investigating ancient sites, or were you looking at pole shifts? How how did this book come about? <laughs> well, uh, it's not what you think. Um, I was actually um, I was actually uh, going on vacation. We were going to the Yucatan. And um, I was looking at some, some of the sites I wanted to visit uh, using Google Earth. And um, I'm looking at these sites, and uh, I realize they're not, they're not al- aligned north, south, east, and west to the cardinal directions. They're all like most of them were rotated in different directions. And um, what happened was I, 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 ha- I had a flashback um, yeah, I kind of see my life as really being a series of uh, several, actually several lives. Uh, and, and in a past life, uh, I kind of got started. Um, uh, my, my sort of my departure from the from the scientific mainstream took place in the 80s when I began to investigate a collection of of uh, unusual surface features on Mars. Some some of your listeners might be familiar with the face on Mars and the uh, pyramids oh. in Cydonia and so forth. And um, right. I wrote a paper. Yeah. I, sorry about that. That's okay. <laughs> I wrote a paper um, on on my on my work it was published in in a journal in the '80s, and that led to some 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 scientific validation and interest. Um, but you know. For the most part, uh, the, the mainstream still believes that these features are natural 
geological formations, and you know we can we can talk about that at some point. But part of what I part of what I looked at back then, and we have someone that's being really persistent here. Segment just gonna have to let this ring. Okay. Um, what I started looking at then were alignments um, between uh, different structures, and it turned out that the uh, these structures on Mars. Um, were, were also not aligned uh, cardinally to the you know north south east and west, uh, but were ro- rotated. And um, one of my colleagues at the time, Richard Hoagland, who wrote a book called The Monuments of Mars, uh, believed that these uh, structures were aligned to the summer solstice sunrise on Mars uh, about a half a million years ago. And based on this alignment, he was able you know he proposed the dating of about a half a million years old. Um, uh-huh. Another scientist at the time had a different take on it. His name was uh, Thomas Van Flander, and he passed away a few years ago. His his perspective his his uh, he saw a, a, a different possibility, and that was that these structures were once aligned to the North Pole when Mars's pole was in a different location. Uh, and this is this is actually accepted that uh, prior to. Um, the formation of what's called the Tharsis Bulge, which, which is a, an enormous volcano on Mars. Mars's North Pole was in a different position. And when it was in that different position, Cydonia, the city in the face, so-called city in face, were located close to the Martian equator and were oriented in the cardinal directions. So, you know, back in the 80s, 90s, I was looking at pole shifts, but they were, they were on Mars. And, um, you know, it had been years since I'd done that work. I'd kind of forgotten about it, moved on to other things. And then, you know, a few years ago, I'm looking at these structures in the Yucatan and, and thinking, wait a second, I remember this, this idea, and then it got me, got me to thinking. And, um, and, what I, and then uh, I, it's kind of a long-winded answer to your question, but I guess we have time, right? We have got, we've got a little bit of time here. Um, oh, yeah. What I, uh, what I remembered was that, um, back uh, a few years prior, um, actually more than that, in the 90s, I believe it was, um, a Canadian author, author uh, Rand Flem App and his, and his wife, that proposed that Atlantis was once, um, was, was, that Atlantis actually is uh, the landmass that's now the South Pole, that prior to a pole shift, uh, the, the South Pole, Antarctica, was uh, was had been uh, at a higher latitude and had a temperate climate, and that was prior to the pole shift Atlantis, and uh, and what he also talks about in that is how you know certain features on the Earth's surface would have changed position as well. And he talks about Teotihuacan having been at a different latitude uh, and uh, and being oriented close to the cardinal directions, but he. He didn't go to that. He didn't make that leap that hmm, perhaps it was once, you know, oriented exactly to the cardinal directions. And the reason for that was that he used a location that um, Charles Hapgood had proposed for a prior location of the pole. And, um, you know, that's, that's probably that's that's you know, I don't want to get too far into that. But, you know, kind of all these answers are, are somewhat connected. But anyway, all yeah. these, all <laughs> these wheels started turning. And um, and my aha moment occur- occurred when I started looking at structures in 
other parts of Mexico and other parts of the world and beginning to see that they could actually point to a few locations, not where the current pole is now, but away from it, similar to um, to uh, what uh, the foreign maps had found out, but other locations. And I thought perhaps what we're looking at are sites that were once aligned to a series of prior North Pole. So that was my aha moment. And it actually did, it, it didn't that long to unfold, but it took quite a while to, to work it out and to figure it out and to, you know, document all these sites and, and describe them, which is, uh, which is in the book. Anyway, so I'll, I'll stop there and let you talk. <laughs> <laughs> well, I think that, that, you know, you, you've, you've really kind of, brought up something that most people are going to go what <laughs> um yeah be- because because the the fact that the crust of the earth does move and the, and the over hundreds of thousands of years um our north pole has been in lots of different places which explains a lot of things about ice ages and things like that so that uh knowing that the crust, uh, and it doesn't do it overnight. Uh, although I, I, I think at, there have been times when it, it, it almost was like overnight. But because because the the crust shifts, the pole shifts, and with with that, you know, the, the tilt of the earth shifts so that this planet isn't just going around in circles. It, it's It's wobbling, I guess is the best way to put it, over hundreds of thousands of years. It's wobbled quite a bit. And so, so to equate, you know, the positions of these sacred sites to, you know, different ice, uh, different, well, times where the poles were in different places, does does give you an understanding as to how very old many of these sites actually are. You know, not just we basically they seemed scientists, archaeologists seem to be stuck in just the last 10 or 12,000 years and they don't think anything happened beyond that I guess um right. because most right. things most you know, most of the structures are dated to the um um driest, the uh, younger driest stage and you know they right. they just don't go back beyond the 10 17,000 years whatever it is so right. you're you're plotting um, of the sacred sites takes things, you know, to a much older time frame. So, well, that, that's so how right. much? Yeah. I, I just, I just want you know people to understand. Actually, between the pole shifts, how many, how many years are there you know, between the pole shifts to give people an understanding as to the, the, the great length of time between these different pole shifts? Right. So. So let me just start by saying, yeah, you're you're exactly right. And what this research uh, attempts to do is, is 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 go back even further. You know, it used to be thought that uh, that our technological civilization originated with the you know early Egyptian the the, the di- well the dynastic period, let's say in Egypt or the Sumerians. Um, these were would be the earliest civilizations, and then they started finding more civilizations. You know, Central Asia in uh, Indus Valley and other parts of the world. And then there was Gobekli Tepe, which, you know, was, you know, thousands of years before that. And, and so now the thought is, yeah, 
our our you know our uh, modern society, technological society, uh, began around 10,000 BC, roughly, and around the same time, wheat was, was domesticated, and and uh, all sorts of other um, developments occurred. Um, you know, just amazingly, all at the same time. Um, mm-hmm. And you know, within and, and that's and that's that's kind of where archaeologists are now. What the pole shift hypothesis proposes is that this is just the latest era, the latest age, and um, but it's it's not the only one. It's not the only uh, technical uh, technological civilization uh, that developed on the planet. That there were prior ones, and these occurred. Uh, at, during earlier times when the poles were in different locations. And the reason we don't know about these civilizations is that they were destroyed. When the pole shifts occurred, um, there were cataclysms, there were floods, earthquakes, upheavals, lands rising and sinking. And, um, and society, societies were destroyed. They were decimated. Not totally because we have some record of these past civilizations, these past um, cultures, uh, through the oral tradition, through uh, myth and legend, uh, but, but hard evidence records, for the most part, don't exist. No, not a lot in the, in the way of material culture, other than um, these, you know, megal- these, these megalithic structures we find throughout the world. And it's these megalithic structures by virtue of their alignment to prior poles these earlier polls suggest that there were two things that suggest that there were these, these pole shifts and that these pole shifts could have been the source of the destruction, you know, that is recorded in say Plato's myth of Atlantis um, and other myths, stories, myth legends in other parts of the world. Um, And also provides, and this is the cool thing. It provides a way of actually dating these structures. So it's not just, um, it's not just like a like a woohoo theory without any numbers on it because you know my background is in engineering and science, and um, I don't want to be able to uh, I want to be able to to justify um, a, a hypothesis is you know as quantitatively as you know, using facts as much as possible and so you know clearly if these pole shifts occurred when did they occur where where were these poles and these are things that I want to be very specific about which I am in the book. And, uh, and, and so to answer your question, these pole shifts have occurred roughly, I mean, there's no, there's no, it's not like a processional cycle that it occurs every 25,000 years, but the, um, you know, let me just get the, take, take out my book that has the tables here. So I'll give you the exact, the exact timing that the, um, the first, the, the earliest pole shift that I examined in the book occurred about 130,000 130, years ago. Um, following that was the pole shift of approximately 83,000 years ago, then 63,000 years ago, and then around 16,000 years ago. So this last pole shift around 16,000, uh, actually it was 16,000 BCE, so around 18,000 years ago, would have been the one that Plato wrote about in the myth of Atlantis. Um, so, you know, what I'm interested in is not just that pole shift and not the state of the world at that point in time, but what happened before that. And so that's, you know, hence the title of the book, Before Atlantis. It's really looking back in time well beyond that. So 
it's kind of like I've taken two, two jumps. If archaeologists are now back 10,000 years and those that are, you know, uh, looking at the younger Dryas event and, you know, uh, how perhaps uh, the floods and cataclysms uh, in origin say you know, if our technological civilization might be correlated with that. I'm actually looking before that and then even further, further before that to even prior ages. Um, and these ages are actually captured in myths and legends of other cultures uh, throughout the world. And so there's a connection between myth and legend and science. And, um, uh, you know, it's, I believe it's it's telling you the same story, but they're like different pieces of information coming from coming from different places. Yeah, it's it was fascinating um, for me because my and and I have no um, scientific background to call on, just a gut, and and I've always felt that that beyond that 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 you know the the younger Dryas time frame, prior to that. There had to be other cultures. There had to be. I mean, you can't just sit. This planet isn't just sat here for millions of years. There had to have been forms of civilization that we just don't have a record of or people we don't have a record of. And uh, it, it, to me, it, it's almost felt as though we're very much like primitive men in, in many ways in that when we don't understand something, we make up a story to make it seem real or Unreal, whichever you want to call it, but yeah, that, that there are well, th- there are there are things that have followed through time. The element <clears throat> Plato and his his talk of Atlantis, no, it's lasted for too long. It's hung on for too long. There's got to be there's got to be fact in there someplace. It isn't just a good story that's told around the campsite for millions or thousands of years. There has to be something more to it. That's right. And if you dissect it, um, th- there's a lot to it, you know, and people have done that. And, for the, and, and mostly what they've done is they've dissected the part of the story having to do with the actual place Atlantis, you know, the, this place, uh, uh, city with the concentric circles, the concentric, um, you know, islands and, and just sort of what it looked like and what the people were like. And, uh, and even clues about, you know, where it was located, you know, starting from beyond the pillows of Hercules. Mm-hmm. And people have interpreted that in so many different ways. Um, what the story also talks about, though, you know, the uh, Egyptian priest talking to Solon, to the, to the Greek, telling them, you know, that uh, the, the, Athen- uh, the Athenians were, were once, you know, first in battle, first in war. They were, you know, they were these great heroes. Uh, and the, you know, the Egyptian priest is talking about them in the past tense before the Egyptian civilization, before the current mm-hmm. you know, the civilization that was in existence at that time in Egypt, which, which the Greeks regarded as an advanced civilization. I mean, the Greeks got, you know, let's face it, they got most of what they, they knew from, from other cultures, from other civilizations. Right. They co-opted a lot, of what, a lot of the knowledge that, you know, that Westerners uh, attribute to the Greeks, but it really came from an earlier, uh, earlier sources. And so, so what the, uh, what, um, what the Egyptian priest is talking about uh, is a state of, uh, of, of an exam, uh, an advanced culture that existed in Europe 
prior to the Athenians, to the, to the you know to the Greeks at the time, that you know, predated the Minoans and all these other other civilizations, you know, far more ancient civilization. So you know when you're so so as I started looking at the evidence um, uh, and looking at and there's you know there's a couple of different threads here. One is you know when you put the poles in different locations. And let me just do this for, for a moment. Let me just digress and say the pole now being at the North Pole is why, you know, north is north. Prior to mm-hmm. uh, the North Pole being in the Arctic, it was um, uh, evidence suggests that it was located east of Hudson Bay in Canada. When you put the pole at that location, um, that's, that's, the top, that's the top of the earth. That's, that's the point that we're spinning around. And mm-hmm. um, at, that, at that location, now, uh, where, where I live in uh, New England, was shifted quite a bit north. So far north, it was above the Arctic Circle. And it, you know, it, uh, and it's well known that this giant uh, ice sheet covered North America for thousands, tens of thousands of years. Um, mm-hmm. You know, climatologists believe, mainstream scientists believe that this was caused by, you know, cycles of warming and cooling on the planet. But according to Charles Hapgood, he proposed the idea that the ice ages uh, were the result of pole shifts, that um, the ice age in North America occurred because North America was at the pole. And prior to that, there was an ice age in Europe, and that was because Europe, um, uh, well, actually it wasn't Europe so much, but a point uh, in the Norwegian Sea um, was uh, at the top of the earth, at the North Pole. And so by these shifts occurring, it changes climate, not by uh, changing the amount of sunlight or, uh, you know, anything having to do with the atmosphere, but simply where on the planet, um, you know, the crust has been shifted and, and the different land masses are located. Um, and so, so, when, um, so when the North Pole was in Hudson Bay, um, North America was under this, this – tremendous ice ice sheet but um you know europe had a uh, had a very temperate climate and it would have been con- certainly conducive for you know uh, a civilization to have developed and existed flourished uh, flourished there in fact um and you can make similar climate predictions for what was going on in other parts of the world for example in mesoamerica in central america and mexico um you know like today we're finding all of these um buried uh, structures uh, hidden by the jungle, you know, they're using advanced mm-hmm. technology called LIDAR to look through the uh, foliage and they're finding these, these vast uh, Mesoamerican cities that are thousands of years old. Well, um, it, it's, if you've been down there, it's, 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 it's a harsh environment. It's hot, it's humid. You know, how could they have existed and built such a thriving civilization under such conditions? Um, well, if the pole were in Hudson Bay, Mesoamerica would have been shifted further north and it would have had a, uh, a temperate climate. It would have been much more like North America than, than, than the climate it has today. And so in, in using now this as a, as a context, you can see how certain civilizations may have developed and then when the pole shifted, why they were destroyed and never recovered. Um, you know, there's evidence of advanced civilizations in Central Asia, 
Gobi Desert and other uh, the deserts in the stands, Turkmenistan, Kazakhstan, yeah. places like that. You, know, you can hardly survive in those places today. How could an advanced civilization have existed there? Well, they, it could have if the climate conditions were different, which they would have been when the pole was in a different location. And so that's, that's the Hapgood hypothesis with regard to pole shifts in climate. And that act, you know, that obviously has to, um, it has to be consistent with where civilizations uh, developed and flourished and where they didn't. Because, you know, if, 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 a, if an area would have been too hot or too cold and it appears that there was a civilization there, well, something's wrong, something's not making sense. But if you actually go through the analysis, and I do much of this in the book and there's more coming, uh, it, it makes a lot of sense. So not only do the sites line up to these pole locations, but if you look at the climate conditions at the time, it would have been conducive for a civilization to have existed at that, at, at, in, that in that part of the world. Um, so, you know, it's, there's a consistency there um, that suggests, yeah, we may be on the right track with, with this hypothesis. I would, yeah. I, now, you've taken it back 130,000 years, which is a lot but the planet's millions of years old. So right. um, I'm just wondering, is, is the, the location of the pole limited to certain areas, like at the top of the world? or Well, it would be the top of the world no matter where the pole was. I mean, is there a possibility that, that you know, I don't know, some place like Cuba could have been the North Pole? Or is, it, is, is there an axis that, that this, pole shift stays within so yeah so um this this idea of pole shifts within the last hundred thousand years is not considered uh most most uh, earth scientists would, would would reject this idea they would say there's no evidence for it what they will concede however is that there's evidence that a half a billion years ago uh, around the time of, uh, well, it was the time of the Cambrian explosion. Uh, this was a time when just about all the species that exist on Earth today were uh, first first appeared um, somehow, magically. At that time, there was a pole shift, uh, a 90-degree pole shift. Um, so what was at the equator shifted to the pole and vice versa. So it was like, you know, taking taking your globe and take you know, rotating it, you know, 90 degrees. Uh, and and there, is, uh, there is evidence to support that. The evidence comes from rocks. Um, so l- let me just sort of back up a little bit. Um, the, uh, you know, it's pretty widely um, accepted that the, earth, uh, the, the Earth's crust is broken up into plates. Um, the original theory was called continental drift that uh, uh-huh. Wegner proposed back uh, uh, in the early part of the 1900s. It took some time, though, for it to be proven because, you know, it's operating at such a, over such long time scales, you know, you can't really observe it. But right. by digging up rocks and measuring, you know, from their location and how they were dug up and, you know, their position and all this, and then measuring their, their magnetic field, it was able to determine, uh, this happened in the 60s, um, because the equipment, scientific equipment, got to the state that they could do this analysis, they determined that 
um, that um, the crust was that these plates were, were actually moving at different rates. And based on that, um, it became evident that, you know, that plate motion, tectonic motion is, is, uh, is a reality, and it's an important uh, dynamic process on the planet. Um, and, you know, most, you know, everyone goes along with that idea now. There, there were those, though, that also proposed the idea that what was needed was another, another movement that would allow certain um, imbalances that might build up on the surface to correct uh, for those imbalances to correct itself. Uh, and um, because the, the crust of the earth is not firmly attached to the core, it, it, it kind of floats over the, over the mantle, uh, mm-hmm. which is like a plastic sort of a semi liquid um, consistency. Um, the thought was that if the buildup is sufficient, then it could cause this whole, the whole crust and all these, all these plates tied to, you know, that are sort of, moving with respect to one of this whole mass of plates that caused the whole thing to, to shift over the, over the mantle. And that was the idea that, that, uh, that Hapgood uh, was, was proposing. Um, but the problem with, with trying to prove uh, the hypothesis that there's been pole shifts more recently is that um, the, the, uh, the accuracy or the resolution of this magnetic data of the analysis that the earth scientists did to prove plate tectonics isn't good enough. They can only measure things that, you know, accurate or with a resolution of about um, a half a million years. So things that are moving (laughs) over time periods of millions of years. Yeah, we can track that really well, but anything moving that's changing over time periods of tens of thousands of years, you can't, you can't do it. It's like, it's like, they're like trying to resolve, um, you know, you go, you've, you've gone on Google Earth or Google Maps and you, you get a satellite image and, you know, it'd be like trying to read someone's license plate. You, ch- you can't do it. You don't have the resolution there. And mm-hmm. so, um, and so um, be, th- th- there's really a lack of evidence because um, it, it's the, the, the methods that don't seem, at least in, in, that, in that particular area, uh, sufficient to, to determine if there could have been more recent crustal displacements, more recent pole shifts. But there might yeah, be other ways, of, other ways of dating things. So. It's, it's, it's interesting because, you know, for the last, well, since, since uh, Younger Dryas, um, you know, we've got a, a pretty good handle on theoretically what has happened on, on the surface here. But prior to that, we're, yeah. we're almost in the Dark Ages. And, and uh, you know, going back that far, and, and I, I love the fact that you took all, all four of these pole shifts and, and you took uh, structures that were at that time frame aligned with, with um, North. And, and, you know, you put all of, all of antiquity into, you know, these, these four different cat- categories, time frames. And it, it yeah. gives you a, a better idea as to the age. And, you know, it, it also, I had an ancestor who, um, he was commissioned to find the North Pole. And if he'd known any of this stuff, you know, wouldn't have helped him any. But, you know, he, he, he may have wandered over the North Pole at one time, but, but from a different time zone, you know. It's 
kind of like an area mm-hmm. code. Um, he didn't quite make it. Um, but, you know, it, it's you, you look at the age, and it, it's so impressive. And, and especially in the, um, the ones in, in Mesoamerica, uh, they, they are so intricate, and they, almost every culture that, that I have read about, that I have heard about, no matter how primitive the time frame seemed to be, they seemed to have an astrological understanding of the stars and of the pole star, and uh, you know whether it was wherever it is now, or it was Thuma, or wherever, there was some understanding as to orientation, and that, and they built according to that. So that yeah, so the, that yeah, the yeah, the idea of using the heavens, like yeah, I'm sorry, I mean that yeah, that that seems to be universal, uh, as above, so below. Mhm. Right. So, so that, so that you know, all of these, you know, they knew where North was, and and right. how did they? I mean, how did they align to? Yeah, this is where the pole is, and how did they? They didn't have compasses, well, at least early. So, were they using the stars? How were they determining North? Well, I mean, you can determine north by, uh, I mean, in a single day, um, north, the north-south line is the, is the point where the sun reaches the, the highest point in the sky, mm-hmm. right? So regardless of season, um, if you can find that direction uh, in the northern hemisphere, that's due south. Um, and that, so that sets up a line. You can... Um, you can do it based on sun, you know, sunrise, uh, you know, moving from uh, the point furthest north of north of east on the first day of summer to um, uh, as you know to to uh, less south of east. I'm sorry, furthest north of furthest east of north. Furthest notes. I'm sorry, furthest north of east. That's right. So you know, okay. uh, I'm sorry. I'm, I'm, hold on, hold on. <laughs> so let me reset. Um, okay. So, so on the first day of uh, on the first day of spring, the sun rises and sets due east, due west, right? Um, uh-huh. And that's the equinox. So uh, that's actually the point I was the, the the day I was going for. So when you know east and west, then north and south is you know is is at a right angle to that. Um, right. And, 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 you know, they, people have looked at the Egyptian, um, uh, Egyptian ancient, uh, technology, uh, that, you know, Egyptians use for measuring things. And, you know, there's, there's books written on how they, um, could have estimated directions and, and in particular North by, by observing the sun and so forth. Um, but I mean, you know, that's, that's interpreting, things in terms of that level of technology, we don't really know what, what might have existed prior to that. I mean, it, it is kind of a mystery, um, but, you know, sort of what, um, what, what has inspired me besides, you know, part of what I do is try to follow, you know, obviously as, as a scientist, 
you want to follow the data, the, follow the facts, see where they lead. And so you have to have, you know, specific models and hypotheses and, you know, numbers and ideas. And, you know, and there's a lot of those in the book. There's a lot of, you know, very definite, oh, yeah. uh, you know, maps showing orientations and how these things line up. But uh, in addition to that, there's also sort of the, I don't know, there's, there's, there's like, a, like an under, underlying drive or motivation, maybe call it a worldview. Um, I've always been influenced by Eastern traditions that, you know, suggest that, you know, we're, we're a lot older than, um, than, they, than what's implied in the Bible, let's say. Uh, I mean, there's many interpretations of what's in the Bible, but some have interpreted the Bible as, you know, saying that, or, you know, uh, birth was created uh, on a specific date. Um, I forget exactly the date. But, you know, that's, that's, that's one interpretation. But, you know, Eastern philosophy sees the, uh, you know, the cosmos as these, um, these cycles of, you know, just vast time periods of, of thousands and tens of thousands and hundreds of thousands and millions and billions of years. And um, this, this sense that our, our culture, that humanity is older than just, you know, uh, pre-dynastic uh, Egypt or Sumeria, or even um, you know, well, you know, even Gopekli Tepe now, uh, yeah. sort of the, the the earliest horizon. That it's even older than that. Sort of has motivated me to see: is there a way of filling in that gap? You know, if we only go back ten thousand years, and there's a sense that you know humanity might have been around, you know millions of years, uh, tens of millions of years ago, is there, is there any evidence that can sort of fill in that gap of speculation? Because it's, well, it, I mean, let's face it, it really is speculation. There's really no compelling physical evidence. Um, it's, I mean, it's open to, to question. They find things, you know, anomalies out of place. They found objects that, you know, like metal spheres at great depths they recovered from mines oh, yeah. in South Africa. And it's like, how, how did something like that get there? So there's this scattered evidence, but it's more anecdotal. And so my thought was that if I could find um, more geometrical evidence that existed in the form of these ancient structures, this might be a way of filling in the gap using a different kind of information that no one uh, had really thought about doing. And so, you know, this is uh, this is sort of where I, you know where I am. A couple of years into this, um, I found several hundred sites throughout the world that appear to be either directly aligned to or in some way reference these prior pole locations, and it ex- actually explains a lot of the unexplained sites. It ex- ex- explains why the Acropolis is is misaligned the way it is. Why why the Temple of Jupiter at Baalbek is misaligned the way it is. And and by the way archaeologists don't have good explanations for why some of these buildings are aligned uh, as they are. And the majority of sites in Mesoamerica, uh, or, or let me put it this way, the minority of sites in Mesoamerica are aligned to north. Most are aligned in, in, in other directions. Why is that? Uh-huh. Why would that be? Um, and archaeologists really, they, 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 um, they it's, it's amazing to, watch the 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 the, uh, the mental gymnastics that they go through to try to explain some of this <laughs> stuff and it just seems to me that you know it's like everything else oftentimes the simplest explanation is the correct explanation and so uh-huh. pole shifts provide a very simple explanation 
for 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 to explain a really complex phenomenon that you know all of these sites are, are aligned in all these strange ways. When you look at these poles and you start drawing lines from the poles, you know, you know, in effect, meridian lines from these prior poles to these sites, they, they line right up to them. So, it, is it is it coincidence? It's, I mean, it's possible, but you know, there's there's just hundreds of you know over 200 sites at this point that either directly are aligned to these poles or are aligned in directions of of solstices uh, or lunar standstills. These are also significant uh, alignments that we found, mm-hmm. but not reference to the current pole, but reference to these prior poles. Um, and that, that gets a little, uh, that gets a little difficult to understand, but I do have examples in the book that, 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 that show that and how that works. Oh, absolutely. Uh, so. And, and I, I think what, what gets to me is, you know, um, archaeologists, are it, it's an amazing field, and yet they are very reluctant to step out of the norm for fear they will they will lose their career, you know, by taking right. a too extreme, you know, going to extremes. So that so that there's 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 a lot of restraint as to until you can you know hit me in the face with so many facts, I can't I can't deny it. I'm going to hold to the old and and. In a way, maybe that's good, and in a way, it's not good. But but it seems to be the way it is. So there's no arguing with it. But um, I, I, your alignment of, of the different sites was fascinating to me because it it finally made sense that if they had the t- you know the, the current history has tried to cram the creation of all of this into a very short period of time. And right. the, the, the records of hum, where humanity was at that particular point in time don't coincide with the age of the, of the structure. They just don't. Exactly. And, and yet exactly. we're, we're, suppo- we're supposed to accept the fact, you know, we know, you know, with, with Egyptian stuff, we, we, we have records of those time frames and, and yet the construction of, you know, the Great Pyramid at Giza and, and, and the Sphinx, you know, it, it just doesn't, it, it doesn't compute. And, and, and any intelligent person looking at it would say that that just doesn't make sense. Look at the tools they had available to them. This cannot possibly be the right, it has to be older. And if it's That's older, what I mean. then yeah. what, yeah. Yeah, I mean, you look I mean, at Egypt. I mean, it, I mean, that was a that was a copper, maybe bronze age culture, right? And they're um, cutting, transporting, uh, hoisting, positioning uh, stones that weigh, you know, many tons. Um, and we've and the, the, what's what's just unbelievable is that they've done experiments. You've seen this on, on numerous television shows, right? Where they, they don't even try to do a one scale. They do It's like, okay, let's do like one tenth of a scale and see if we can figure out how they did this or raising an obelisk. They just can't mm-hmm. do it. It's not possible. Even with modern, even with modern technology, I mean, there are cranes that uh, they say, you know, like the stones that in, um, in Peru's sacred Valley at some of these sites, uh, Machu Picchu, 
Oyete Tambo uh, are so large that I mean the largest cranes couldn't couldn't hoist them. I mean, how would you how could you possibly do it, particularly in that terrain? And so I mean, so there's some actually some interesting ideas. You know, people are talking about things like geopolymers. So you know, these were some of these stones were maybe not cut, but they were cast. And yeah. you know, they that's the explanation now. Of a lot a lot of people favor for these so-called H blocks at Tiwanaku. Um, oh yeah. And 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 there's actually some some theories for the pyramids being also constructed from from uh, from geo, you know geopolymer blocks. Um, so and, and what's interesting is is there's there's now technologies that are available for dating things. You know, it used to be carbon fourteen dating, radiocarbon dating was was all you could do. So you couldn't really date the stone. Uh, all you could do is date the artifacts, like if this charcoal packs around from a fire, you could, you know, right, based on circumstantial yeah. uh, co-located evidence. It's like, okay, this was built uh, at the same time. But that's that was always, that's always an assumption, right? You, it's not direct evidence. Um, now they have a technique. It's called uh, luminesc- lum- luminescence dating, optically uh, stimulated luminescence dating, OSL. And uh, what they can do is actually they can take a rock that's been uh, uh, hidden by the sun from the outside. So you dig up a rock and you do it carefully and then you expose it, you, uh, you let it become exposed to light and it luminesces and, luminesces. and based on the period of time and, uh, you know, the intensity, they can determine how long the rock was actually underground. And so, you know, you can use that as a method to saying, in theory, when was this foundation first built? These 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 stones first put into place, um, and so I think there's hope of, de- of of dating some of these ancient structures. It's going to be extremely difficult because you know um, you know the hypothesis in before Atlantis is not uh, that uh, say what you see at uh, Chichen Itza now when you go there is is um, you know eighty thousand years old or 60,000 years old in that time frame. Um, but that mm-hmm. the first structure there, that the original foundation on which that was built, uh, or even a one prior to that, I mean, because what you find in Mesoamerica are structures built on top of earlier structures and around earlier structures. And uh, so what you're asking, the ultimate question is, when was that first foundation built? So in principle, there's a way of dating it, but it's going to be it's going to be really difficult <laughs> to get underneath it to get those those samples. But you know, I don't know if if there's a will, there's a way. There may there may not be a way. Uh, there may not be a will to do it because, of course, a lot of these sites are controlled by governments and they have archaeologists and they, you know they're they're sticking to the to the um, to the gospel that you know. Uh, <laughs> The Aztecs or the Toltecs, let's say, were the, the first people, and they date back, you know, to, you know, just prior to the historical period. Um, the idea of five ages, um, uh, you know, the, the Aztecs have this myth of the five suns, which were, you know, yeah. I talk about that in the book and how the pole shifts line up to those ages. Um, the idea of going back you know, tens of thousands of years would not be something that they would want to explore. Talking about earlier about academics being afraid of losing their funding and their, their credibility and so forth. Well, you know, it's publish or perish in many cases too. But but right. I think what what 
what got me so excited about your book was it it did you know you look at things like um i i now yell at the tv a lot when i see you know ancient stuff on on like the the great pyramid of giza and they tell they tell you how kofu created it and you know no he didn't um you know i i i get very frustrated to the point where i i turn them off sometimes because it was common knowledge when when whatever these program when wherever these when whenever these programs were made that that was the accepted whatever but but in the, in the 10 years since they were created so much has been discovered and so much is out there that says no 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 you know and and no there weren't bodies in these pyramids they were for something else and and you know i've i've talked to a number of people that have have theories that are just so profoundly amazing it's it's um, that that to me are more rational than than what the history books are talking you know i i don't know if it's right or not but but you know i certainly you know am fascinated by the possibilities and 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 i think there's a there's a sadness in that people aren't open to a possibility that that there's greater age here because that speaks to the fact that our our culture our our species is so much older than we've been you know led to believe i mean we we certainly they they have human remains that go back hundreds of thousands of years so you know, it, it doesn't take that long to develop. I mean, under, I, I I go along with you on the fact that, you know, there are time frames when there are major disasters when we're shoved back to the Stone Age and we have to develop yet again. But but there have been cultures on this planet, in my opinion, um, we're far more technologically advanced than we are today. And they've left records. Yeah. They've left hints. They've left breadcrumbs, and <laughs> you're following the breadcrumbs, and I think it's great. Yeah, you know, and and I and I think it's also possible that, and and some of the reticence, some of the reluctance might be uh, because these earlier civilizations predate Homo sapiens sapiens. Um, mm-hmm. You know, the, these earlier cultures so would. Could, could go would go back to the time of the Neanderthals and the Denisovans, um, and this is what I you know it, this is this is literally just a breadcrumb. It's it's a paragraph in the book because I'm not you know I I try to stick to what I know and um, you know people that that read on this read about this stuff are, are pretty smart and they and I you know I have you know footnotes and references to, to so they can find out more, but you know the the, the theory now is that there were these other uh, other um, um, predated Homo sapiens sapien, modern modern man, mm-hmm. Cro-Magnon man, um, and the possibility exists that that these um, you know they, they they were around for half a million years. If we developed uh, a uh, material culture in a few thousand, say in ten ten thousand years, let's say, why couldn't they have done it before? And so, and you know, and and the evidence suggest that they were uh they had larger uh larger brains um there's evidence of uh, advanced um uh you know technology being able to i'm thinking in terms of the the bracelets found up in siberia 
in the uh, Denisova uh, uh, cave, uh, showing mm-hmm. uh, advanced uh, you know, uh, knowledge of, of um, uh, not metal work, but being able to drill very fine, tiny holes and things and so forth. Um, so not not megalithic well, construction, but very fine scale detail. So there was, there were, you know, tens of thousands of years ago, there was this technology existed. It wasn't Homo sapiens sapiens. It was something else. So the possibility exists that it could have been a previous um, a previous subspecies. Uh, it didn't have to be an ancient alien. It could have been, you know, could have been an, an indigenous uh, prior, you know, a prior uh, version of man, which you know some of the ancient texts talk about. You know that, you know that um, that we're not the we're just the latest. We're not the only ones. So yeah, I think this is a possibility. Well, and and I think you you draw a very good um, comparison to the fact that that uh, our stories of the gods could easily have been. Uh, a culture that that was left over from a previous dynasty on the planet that that maybe wasn't um there there possibly weren't thousands of them but but maybe hundreds and that they became the the um material from which we developed our gods so that uh, right. and I've often I've often thought in in ancient Egypt especially in ancient Egypt a lot of those uh, huge statues, um, I kind of think that they, they might well have been life-size. And, yeah, and, literally you true. Know, yeah. Yeah. So, so, that, so that that would explain. I mean, I, I think that our history is, is such an amazing story that historians have dumbed it down to the point where nobody even cares about it anymore. But... but uh, I mean, just just sticking to 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 us. I mean, there are there are massive graveyards of little people and giants together that have been discovered and and covered up, of course. But um, right. but they they there's there's historical records of it. So just because we don't have historical records doesn't mean that there there weren't people who weren't exactly like us but who we are related to in in one way or another and it makes great sense that 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 survivors of um a mass destruction area um made it through through whatever disastrous time it was and were scattered all over the planet and and that's where a lot of the um knowledge and wisdom for these massive, massive structures came from, and then once they died out, the structures remained as a testimony to their existence, and other humans came in and said, oh, this is cool, let's just build a town around this, and that's how that's how that happened. I mean, right. why couldn't that have happened? I mean, the Christians co-opted the pagan temples, in uh, the Roman temples, uh, the pagan temples and they built over them and, you know, churches build over mosques and, you know, it's, it's, it happens all the time. And this idea of, of building over a pre-existing structure is kind of a key uh, idea in, in, uh, in before Atlantis, because, you know, again, uh, it's, it, it would be a hard sell to, uh, to, to claim that these structures we see today are, 
you know, tens of thousands of years old. Um, but uh, uh, similarly, you know, it, it would be like, uh, you know, you go to, uh, to, to, to Rome today and there's modern structures built in and integrated into the ruins. Um, they, it's all kind of seamless. They all kind of conform to the same, you know, ground plan. And that ground plan was established thousands of years ago. Uh, now there are parts of parts of Rome um, that uh, that are aligned to uh, lunar standstills. Like who who would uh, who would even know of that or care about it today? But back thousands of years ago, you know, when um, societies cultures were strongly influenced by the heavens, um, you know, aligning things to events like the motions of the moon and the sun, the solstices were were really important. So, you know, these are, it's kind of like a fingerprint, a, a signature that kind of carries over. Um, and, uh, and, you know, I think that's, that's what we're seeing. You know, you were talking, you know, talking about science, you know, what, what you know, why is it, why is it the way it is? It's, um, you know, when you look at, look at what science does, science kind of builds a box around, around uh, an area uh, you know, sort of like a conceptual box, right? And they say, okay, we're going to try to figure out what's in that box. And, you know, it's a divide and conquer strategy. It's reductionism. They take something that's mm-hmm. complex and they break it up into pieces, and that's how they try to understand it. I mean, and that works for a lot of things. It works for natural, for, for it works for, you know, natural processes, uh, for probably geology and things like that and climate um, it works in physics for sure, uh, but it probably doesn't work really well in like the life sciences because you break everything down, uh, you break a human being down into organs, cells, molecules, atoms, and you know what do you have? You have matter, matter, and we're clearly more than matter. Um, uh-huh. So I mean, it, but in a sense, you, you don't fault science because it's kind of what they do. It's they create these boxes and then they. They, they figure out what's inside the boxes and then, you know, human beings with, you know, being, being who we are, then we, you know, we, we own, we quote unquote own that, right. We own that paradigm, that theory, and it becomes uh, personal. Uh, if you disagree with the theory, it's like, you know, it's like you're attacking me. Right. And, um, and so, you know, there's a lot of that in science. Uh, I mean, so much in, in, uh, uh, the, the, you know, it's like in academia. Though. I think the biggest egos are in academia. I don't think it's in the entertainment in- industry. I think it's. I think academia <laughs> is probably the worst. Um, and so you know, I think that's 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 part of it too. And what's great about what we're doing, and, and we being people that are, you know, I, I I'm not doing this for a living. Uh, it's my uh, my daughter calls it my side hustle. Um, <laughs> You know, it's, you know, people, you know, some people, yeah, sort of like would say, oh, you know, this is my hobby. Uh, yeah, you know, I, I like to build, you know, you know, planes too, but it's, it's sort of not exactly, <laughs> we'll call it a hobby. I think, I think a side hustle is, is as good a term as any. Um, but, you know, think, I think we, what we're doing, you and I and all of us that are sort of involved in, in, in these types of efforts is, is sort of, pushing science out, you know, you know, pushing that box, uh, pushing the sides of that box, opening it up, kicking the side, kicking the, the walls down and, and letting more things in. And, you know, they're, they're, they're fighting tooth and nail. They don't want that. But 
you know, some, I think some of the stuff will stick. And then, you know, then of course they'll say, well, we knew, we, we knew that all along. Right. Um, <laughs> but that's fine. I mean, who cares? Uh, the important thing well, is, think, you know, that you get progress. Well, yeah, I think, uh, a while back, a long while back, I, I interviewed somebody that, that you know, did a book on, on forbidden archeology span and, you know, it, it was it was a laborious book to get through, and that it was all on flintstones and how once they discover flintstones, they say this is the most primitive. This is as old as it gets. It doesn't get any older than this, and they stopped digging. And mm. you know, be, beneath those layers was even more primitive stuff from other cultures, from other time frames. And I think that that. So often there's an arrogance about man and woman. I mean, mankind, let's put it that way. There's an arrogance yeah. that we are the superior race. Maybe not. <laughs> Maybe the superior race has been here and gone. Um, but but there's an arrogance that we are the most developed. We are, you know, everything else is primitive. And, and the reality is that... that there were, I truly believe, really advanced civilizations here before, before we were hunter-gathering. And, and to not acknowledge that, to not acknowledge that some of the stuff that we've got today came from our interaction with that race is, yeah. is foolish. Is, I mean, come on. Um, I mean, it, it just you look at you look at some of the structures out there. Um, I can't remember because I didn't write it down in my notes which which um, which time frame was the was the Sphinx and the Great Pyramid erected on. So how how old would you say they were? Yeah. Okay. So th- this is, this is mind blowing because everyone thinks like this is like the oldest thing on the planet, right? And it's the most sophisticated. Well, it, it's extremely sophisticated and it's you know fairly well preserved, uh, largely mm-hmm. by virtue of its size. But the 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 pyramid is is aligned very precisely to the cardinal direction. So it was built after the pole shift. Um, okay. So what you know what my my uh, my conjecture is that. Um, those who had the, the knowledge, um, the builders uh, from the previous age, those that survived and um, uh, carried that knowledge forward, those are, the, those are the builders of the pyramids. You know, th- these are the followers of Horus, um, you know, that predated the, uh, the, uh, the, dy- the, the dynastic period in Egypt, for example. Um, and okay. I think similar... You know, similar um, probably come up with similar um, time frames, and, and uh, you know, there's the Sumerian kings list, and there are rulers before um, before the uh, the um, before Kish, uh, which you know, the first pre-dynastic or pre the first anti the first king after the flood. There's there's a whole bunch of of, of antediluvian kings. And mm-hmm. so, you know, I think you're looking at, you know, in, in those time frames, and those were the, those those were those those uh, people, uh, those civilizations were the ones that that had that that knowledge, and and um, they brought it forward. But you know, again, after you know, post flood, 
would be anything after the flood would be uh, aligned to, you know, based on, on the, the geometry of pole shifts would be aligned to the current pole. And, and the pole okay. doesn't move very much. It moves, it moves a little bit. And in fact, the, 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 uh, the, the, uh, the pyramid, uh, uh, the, the pyramids uh, are, are not aligned. Um, Khufu is not exactly aligned north, south, east and west. It's off by um, a fraction of a minute of, of uh, in, in terms of angle, and uh, and that and that could be due to a shift or a slight drift in the pole since the time it was built. So in other words, it could have been built uh, exactly facing the, the North Pole at the time, but over the last um, however many uh, tens of thousands of years, ten, ten let's say ten thousand years or so, um, it's uh, the pole shifted a little bit, and so it's off a little bit. There's, does the you know, Sphinx fall into that same? Does the Sphinx uh, fall into that same time frame? Yeah, it would because it, it, its reference is, um, you know, it's it's looking. It looks east, right? I believe it looks due east, and the mm-hmm. uh, the idea is that, um, according to Babal and Hancock, that the Sphinx and pyramids were a reflection of the heavens, circa, you know, the age of Leo. Uh, 10,500 BC. Um, okay. So yeah, that's, that's all consistent. So the really old stuff is well, not, and I actually talk about this a little bit in the book. Uh, the, the really old stuff is not in lower Egypt, but is in, uh, I believe is in, um, is in upper Egypt. These are the temples um, along the Nile, Luxor, Luxor uh, uh, Abydos, uh, other places that have numerous structures. Uh, in fact, most structures there are not aligned to the cardinal directions. They're aligned. Um, well, Karnak is actually aligned to, uh, to, the, to the solstice, but there are other temples that don't seem to have any obvious alignment uh, to any um, astronomically significant directions. And this has really kind of had a lot of archeologists scratching their heads there's a bunch of papers written about this, and some some believe that the temples were aligned to the to the Nile River. In other words, as the Nile winds its course through the uh, through the uh, through uh, Upper Egypt, these temples were aligned to sort of face the Nile. And there's other hypotheses, but it, I've also shown that uh, a, a fair number of these uh, reference previous locations of the pole. And it's my conjecture, my hypothesis is that. This was the part of Egypt that actually su- survived the cataclysm after the last pole shift. In other words, where, where um, you know, the floods inundated the Mediterranean, Greece, and uh, lower Egypt, um, the, uh, the New World, Mesoamerica, um, other, and other parts of the world, because upper Egypt is away from the, uh, the, the ocean, it's, it's at a higher altitude. It's actually far from any earthquake fault that it would have been relatively protected from any cataclysm. And, and so what had existed, Egyptian civilization that um, existed before the pole shift um, was that uh, which was in upper Egypt, whereas everything pretty much in lower Egypt is aligned to the cardinal directions. And I believe, and there's analysis of this both in the book and on, on uh, beforeatlantis.com. There's a lot of, a lot of papers, a lot of information there um, showing that uh, a lot of structures closer to the Mediterranean 
that is Lower Egypt, are uh, aligned to the cardinal directions, indicating they were built after the after the last pole shift. Very cool. Uh, that was a lot. That was I, a lot to get through. Let me just mention. Yeah. Let me just mention before Atlantis.com is uh, is the website and. It's it's sort of a blog. I don't I don't blog every day. I, I I'll post an article every you know every uh, some some months two or three. But it's been a few months since I've done the last one. But there's uh, uh, about two dozen articles there that go into more detail uh, on these sites. And um, there's there's a few related to Plato's Atlantis and uh, Egypt and the distribution of sites. And there's actually some papers, some working papers that I published that you can also get access to that have, you know, more tables and graphs and figures you can get into more detail. It's all available online. It's all free. It's all there. Well, um, where, um, where, where are the structures of the greatest antiquity on the planet the, so far? Um, so so based, based on alignment, they would appear to be in Peru in the Sacred Valley, places uh, like Cusco, uh, Oyetetambo, uh, Machu Picchu. Um, these are sites that are aligned to the oldest pole location. Um, Hapgood put put the oldest pole in his uh, in his original um, theory in the Yukon. So, um, again, just just for just to back up a little bit, the current poles in the Arctic. The previous pole, uh, which, you know, places like Teotihuacan in um, Mexico City would be aligned to is the Hudson Bay Pole. Um, that's uh, east of Hudson Bay in Canada. Prior to that, um, it was uh, a pole has been determined to have been located in the Norwegian Sea, which would have been a time when Europe experienced a nice age. Prior to that, the pole would have been in northern Greenland, uh, northern Greenland, and prior to that in um, in the Aleutian Islands. Uh, I'm sorry, in uh, the Bering Sea, north of the Aleutian Islands. Uh, and, and that's about 130,000. Yeah, that's about 130,000 that, years right. ago. That's right. That's right. And so, um, and so these these sites um, in uh, the Sacred Valley are aligned. They're all aligned in that direction. It's actually quite remarkable. Um, but they're not the only ones. You, you find this, you know, so, so it, it, this is the whole idea that I kind of want to get to is, is that on triangulation. You know, you can have a lot of things in the same area pointing in the same direction. Um, that that kind of gives you a line, but but a pole location is a point. So you need, like, things in some other, along some other meridian uh, in order to sort of intersect those lines and say, yeah, the pole is here. And it turns out that, that there are sites in, in Europe, in Africa, in the Middle East that point uh, in the same general direction. And so um, like a place like, uh, it turns out the Bosnian Pyramid of the Sun uh, is aligned in this direction as well, as is the Temple of the Winged Lions in, uh, at Petra. Uh, and there's there's there's, uh, there's about a half a dozen other sites, and these would be the oldest sites um, based on this hypothesis. So the so the best known sites I think those in in um, 
in the Peruvian uh, uh, mountains. The Sacred Valley would be the the oldest. I, I I'm just trying to. It, it it would seem, according to the different pole shifts, that that area basically has stayed free of ice, <laughs> if you will, for the longest yeah. period of time. Right. Right. So that would make that would make great sense that that would be where what you would call civilization would have possibly survived shifts and cataclysms and all sorts of things. Yeah, so someone just would... wrote me the yeah, that's right. Someone just wrote me the other day and said, "No, I I'm trying to understand your theory and it's like I'm trying to understand why there aren't any sites ancient sites in North America. Is it because is it because of this, this theory? I said, yes, exactly. It's because, you know, if the last pole shift put the North Pole in Hudson Bay, then all of North America pretty much, except for the southern part of the U.S., would have been, um, would have been in, the, in the Arctic, uh, the then Arctic Circle, would have been under a sheet of ice. That would have destroyed anything that existed prior to that. I mean, you're under, you know, three miles of ice. You know, you're pretty much going to be anything, pretty much would be wiped out. I mean, we haven't found anything yet. There are artifacts that are, um, you know, that have been found in other places in the southern U.S., um, in California, uh, even down in, in Texas. There's some interesting sites that could be, you know, could be that old. But, I mean, in terms of, you know, why aren't there megalithic sites in North America? For exactly the reason you're alluding to, Barbara, is because, you know, they, they were, they would have been destroyed because they were, you know, under, under a glacier, they were, you know, at the pole or close to the pole in a polar region, whereas places near the closer to the equator were never, uh, at least over the last hundred thousand years, were never uh, at a pole. But uh, a place like like the Gobi Desert or Central Asia, which is now totally inhospitable, when the pole was located in Hudson Bay, the climate was completely different there. And in fact, there were, you know, there are glaciers in the um, uh, in the mountains. Uh, I can't, I forgot the name of them to the south. Um, uh, you know, between um, Pakistan and Iran. Um, and uh, you know, there, there, you know, there's, there's pretty good evidence that there was a large inland sea that existed in that part of the world. So the climate is completely different. Um, uh, but so, so I think what you're finding are the oldest civilizations will, will be away from the poles. So you don't, you also don't find anything like in Northern Europe. Uh, you know, the most uh, sophisticated structures you find are the, these polygonal blocked megalithic structures in Italy and in Greece, like uh-huh. at the temple of Apollo. Um, um, uh, and um, yeah, yeah, but they're within the last 10,000 like years. I mean, so the you know, they're they're so the, so I'm they're sorry, babies. They're babies. They're young. <laughs> I, you know what well, would yeah, help? The, what what would just, what would help? Say, so the temple of the, the the temple of Apollo is is that you're yeah. right. That's considered to be fairly fairly recent. However, the alignment of the temple of Apollo faces. The Norwegian it faces the uh, the Hudson Bay Pole, which suggests that it was built before before the flood. And okay. so, 
Now, I'm not saying the temple itself. There's, a, there's actually a polygonal, and this is this in the book, there's a polygonal wall below it um, that is not aligned in the same direction as the temple itself. This is at Delphi I'm talking about, the Temple of Apollo at Delphi. Uh-huh. Um, and, um, but the, the polygonal wall below it is made of these enormous cyclopean boulders, uh, these blocks, uh, not boulders, they're cut stone, and they fit together in very intricate patterns. Um, uh-huh. And so the hypothesis based on their alignment is that they predate the last pole shift. So they were built more than, than 18, excuse me, more than 18,000 years ago. So they're not, they're, not, they're not babies. They're actually, the Greeks built on, on top of them, but they built on top of something that was preexisting. Okay. And there's other, there's other examples in, in Greece and, uh, and in Italy, but you don't find much north of that. You don't find much north of, of Mexico, northern of of, um, of say Mexico City, north of Teotihuacan, north of the Yucatan, just not much in the central U.S. Um, and it's because of, for that reason that uh, they were too close to the, to a prior pole. They were anything would have been destroyed. But the, the conditions, well, about, the climate conditions, would have been too cold. What about? I, I mean, I know we don't have records. But I mean, come on! Russia and China are right up there too. They sh- they should have been under um, sheets of ice as well. That that that's right. But when and and this is an interesting. Um, th- what is interesting is that there are uh, in in northern uh, Russia and I, I the specific location um, uh, escapes me. But when the North Pole was if the North Pole were in the Norwegian Sea, kind of north, but relative to Siberia, yeah. it's far away. So when the North Pole, if the North Pole were in the Norwegian Sea, Siberia would have been at a temperate, it would have been at a much lower latitude. It's, it's kind of hard to envision this. If you have a globe, you can, you can certainly do this by, by moving the globe around. Um, mm-hmm. And, you know, the graphics in the book try to accomplish this as well. But um, so when the North Pole was in the, Nor- in the Norwegian Sea, then uh, Siberia, in fact, the region around where the Denisovan cave is found was at a much more temperate latitude. Right now it's pretty far north. There's actually a site nearby uh, called Poor Bajan. Uh, I'm sure that's not the correct pronunciation. But it appears to reference the Norwegian Sea Pole. It's not lined you know, it's the cardinal direction as they exist today. Uh, so, yes, there are a few sites up north, but they were not, these, these sites were not north when the pole was in a different location. In, the, in particular, these ones in northern Russia, this one site was at a much, as a, at a lower latitude when the pole was, up in, in, uh, was in Hudson Bay. Um, and, uh, you know, but, I mean, we, we may still find sites up north. It just seems that the, the biggest, the, the megalithic sites, the, the, the greatest concentration is, is temperate zone into the equatorial zones right now. We haven't found very much that's up north, too, too, too close to the poles. Well, yeah, it, it would be, <clears throat> I would love to see, because, you know, when, when there is that ice cover, when when there is that ice age, that means that most of the water is, you know, in in is ice, and therefore 
the land mass is different and greater. Um, you know, uh, the continents, you know, we, the, 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 the water from the oceans, you know, is in ice. And so, therefore, the, <clears throat> the land mass is different, too. I, I would love to see a globe for each of these ages. Just to just to get some idea as to what the planet actually looked like. I mean, to a to a certain degree, you can, but you know, you got the um, the Perry Reese map that sh- that shows yeah. the 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 um, outline of of um, Antarctic and the Antarctic, and you know, heaven knows where they got it from, but it seems to be accurate. And so, if 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 you could see the globe as it was. In each of these time frames, you get a better idea as to where civilization might have been, and certainly right. South America is one is one of those places. Um, right. It makes it and makes great sense that you know. Go ahead. Yeah, no, it certainly certainly does. And you know, to answer to answer your question, I, I you know, I, those those maps don't exist um, prior to you know, what I'm proposing was this pole shift 18,000 years ago. But since then, there are maps of, um, uh, well, there are pretty good estimates. Well, even going back before then, there, there are estimates of, of uh, the, the height of the uh, uh, Earth's oceans. And you're exactly right that it goes, it's inversely related to the amount of ice. The more ice you have, the lower uh, the sea level is. And um, during the last glacial maximum, so what, that's when the ice was, there was the most ice on the North American continent. Um, the ocean levels were at like a near record low. Over the last, about 100,000 years ago, they were almost as low, but they were pretty low like, like 20,000 years ago. Time, at this point in time, um, what is now the, um, the, uh, uh, the Persian Gulf. Uh, so, you know, mm-hmm. visualize like where Iran, uh, Iraq, Straits of Hormuz, and you can go down and then to the east is India. That, that whole area, that, that, that body of water was not, it did not exist. It was all dry land. And so you had this vast area now that is covered with water but was once above water. And what they found um, back in the uh, late 90s was a submerged civilization off the coast of India in what's now the, the Bay of Cambay. Um, and this is this, I actually have an article on this uh, on beforeatlantis.com. It's, it's the last article I wrote. Um, uh, so it's right at the top. And it talks and it shows what the water levels were at that time. It shows, you know, where these sites are located. And uh, it actually makes the case that there was a civilization that existed before the, uh, the Indus Valley or the Harappan uh, civilization. You know, it used to be thought that India was, was, uh, was only civilized when the Aryans moved in. But then that, that whole theory was, was um, displaced by when they discovered evidence of this Indus Valley civilization uh, that spread, you know, that existed, um, you know, thousands of years ago along the Indus uh, river from, you know, Northern India uh, into Pakistan and and West. Um, But these submerged structures off the Bay in the Bay of Cambay 
could have only have been built uh, when the land was above water. And that was, you know, that was like 20,000 years ago. So this is uh-huh. almost like, you know, you've seen that Bob Ballard's discoveries in the Bosporus and, you know, the Black Sea, these submerged structures and uh, that, you know, were maybe, you know, a few extra thousand years older than we think they are. Well, these, these sites in India could be thousand years older than the earliest sites discovered in, you know, from this Indus Valley civilization, which itself, archaeologists don't know where it came from. They don't know where the Indus Valley civilization originated. It it seemed to have just sort of sprung up overnight. And so finding these submerged structures that, based on sonar imagery, look like those on dry land in in places like Harappa and Mohenjo-Daro and other places like that, suggests that the Indus Valley culture was really uh, a carryover, an extension of what existed prior to that. And, I mean, this is just, you know, to, to your point, this is just one part of the world. Um, but I think, yeah, there's a lot to be discovered just based on, you know, looking at when the oceans were lower, what, you know, what did it reveal? Um, well, yeah. Like in, uh, and, I and... In, I, yeah. Sorry, go ahead. <laughs> well, uh, no, I mean the the coast the coastline of of um, you know North America has changed dramatically, and and you know with the I mean a- and is continuing to. I mean there are parts of Florida that are kind of you know sinking lower and lower, so that you know it's not going to happen tomorrow, but it does look like if the ice melt continues that the oceans coming up and in a thousand years or so, our coastline will be very different. And, yeah, my, you know, Miami, it, 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 yeah, yeah. <laughs> no, it, Miami it, it will brings be an my, yeah, sorry, go ahead. <laughs> it, it, no, it just, it brings to mind that, that, that sunken structure off the coast of Japan, one wonders what it actually was and was it ever above ground? Right. The right. Yamaguchi. Um, Yamaguchi. Yamagu- yeah. No, it's not. No, that's yeah. Nam- Nam- Yamaguchi is the treasure. Um, but the, but there is there is that that island, not island, but there is that structure off the coast of Japan that they're, they're arguing over whether it was man-made or not, and it sure looks man-made to me. Right. Right. And the, and and the fact that it at one time would have been above water suggests the possibility that it was part of a you know it was a a structure, a man-made structure. Mm-hmm. Um, no, you're right. I mean, you know, the, the city of Miami will, you know, at the rate we're going, will be an archaeological, a, a submerged, a sub, sub, you know, a, a submerged archaeological site in, in probably 100 years. Um, at least parts of it will be. But, um, but it, it uh, also it also gives greater credence to the fact that the Bimini Road maybe actually was a road at one point right. in time. Right, and you know. So, Plato talks about the area around Atlantis being being an impassable, impenetrable sea. Well, when the when the uh, during the glacial max, when the, there was the most ice and the water levels were at their lowest, the Caribbean was not a wide open uh, sea the way it is today. There were the islands were much larger. It was much the Yucatan Peninsula was much you know it it, it uh, 
was much the land area was significantly greater. Uh, there was still water, but I mean, you, what you're mentioning in uh, the like the um, in the Bahamas, those much of that area would have been above water, and so you're exactly right. The Bimini Road was was above water at that point. I think and that you know what, when when yeah, you yeah. when you talk about stuff like this, you know, it makes it so much more logical, um, and and you know, people kind of. Play, I doubt it with these kind of thoughts, but but if, when you when you look at the fact that that the pole was different, the ice mass determined the 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 depth of the oceans or or, or the extent of the oceans. I mean, it it makes it all so much more plausible that yeah, there was civilization here. Don't know what what it was or who it was, but um, they they've spotted, especially in the um, Bermuda Triangle, they've spotted um, they whoever they are, um, pyramids underwater. Right. So, where you know, again, where did they come from? Um, but but when you go with, with your theory about uh, the shifting mantle, the shifting poles, and, and the, the ice, you know, melting and, 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 and forming, I mean, it does, it does give you a whole new topography to what humanity had to live with and to work with. And therefore cultures were, there were probably magical cultures that were totally destroyed that, that we have no knowledge of and nor will we ever probably, but, but maybe there are remains of buildings and things like that, that, that at some point in time can be um, uncovered. Um, I wanted to touch on Gobekli Tepe because that is, that is, uh, that's one of my, my topics that I seem to be drawn to of late, and the fact that it's 20 acres of of um, ruins that only a small part have been excavated. Um, is there any way of determining, you know, which area, which which pole that that was constructed in? You know, I haven't I haven't followed that that line of research. Um, Apparently, it's 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 an area that's uh, been a little dangerous to work in lately. I don't know. Um, oh yeah. Uh, I, but 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 yeah, uh, it's just in that part of the world. Um, what what I um, what I've heard that is some archae astronomical uh, alignments to um, to stars perhaps might have been uh, determined. So structures, you know, and th- this is something that you know. Um, I, I, I haven't talked about very much. I've talked about, you know, we talked in this conversation today, we talked about alignments to the cardinal directions. I've alluded a little bit to solstices, you know, places like Stonehenge that um, mm-hmm. have, you know, alignments that reference um, the sun, the um, first day of summer, first day of winter, that sort of thing. Uh, I've talked about, I also, there's also many places that reference the moon, lunar temples, um, and you find, you know, megalithic sites in uh, in the UK, uh, for example, have uh, many such references. Um, a lot of sites in Egypt are thought to have been aligned to the stars, uh, and uh, you know that's that's a po- that's a very popular hypothesis in archaeoastronomy that a site was aligned to to the rising of a particular star. 
Um, uh-huh. One example is the Temple of Hathor in, in Egypt could have been aligned to the uh, rising of the Milky Way because Hathor is, you know, is the mother goddess. Um, the Milky Way, the Big Dipper, um, is, is, a, is a reference to a similar um, idea. Um, uh, and so there's that connection in Egypt. Um, and relative to uh, Gobekli Tepe, the, uh, you know, there's, I, 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 and I only heard about this in passing, that there's appear to be some references to stars in, in the alignments there. So, I, again, that, that sort of just echoes this, this long, it's like a universal uh, quality, it seems, of humanity that we, we reference the, the heavens in our, in our constructions. Oh, absolutely. And, and I think that, that it, it, you know, there's so, there's so much wonderful knowledge out there today that wasn't out there 10 years ago and, you know, forget 20 and 30 years ago. And while it's still evolving, it's, it's a shame that, that we aren't teaching it to children because um, it gives you a greater sense of, of respect for who and what we are and where we come from. And, and I, I, you know, with all due respect to, to anybody who is, is um, heavily into the Bible, um, I do believe that we have evolved um, in, in ways different than has been taught to our children and that, that we have um, the capacity to do so much more than we're actually doing. And, and it's a matter of society allowing us to the freedom to, to, to go where no man's gone before, so to speak, to quote Star Trek. Um, yeah. The, the, the concept of, of there being um, another culture, another, um, I don't want to say species, because I, I do feel that, the, 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 that there was a, a civilization, a better way to put it. Um, somebody I interviewed lately said that, that Atlantis wasn't necessarily a, uh, an island as much as it was a culture. Yes. And 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 that the, their technology um, evolved and and was basically wiped out at some point in time, but that remnants of it remained, and and therefore, you know, were the 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 contractors, so to speak, of, of many of the megalithic structures that that we'd have no explanation for. And mm-hmm. I mean, you 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 call them the I'll, I'll pronounce it wrong the Nakal. Yeah, um, I mean, some people like to just use the term Atlanteans, um, but I, I, I actually picked a term out that um, that a um, that a sort of Victorian era archaeologist used. Uh, there was an archaeologist by the name of Augustus La Plagione who uh, was a photographer. And he lived most of his life in. Um, in South and Central America, and he documented extensively the ruins in uh, in Mesoamerica. And uh, he had he had developed sort of his own uh, understanding or translation of the uh, the Mayan glyphs, and he believed that they spoke of um, you know cataclysms, sort of echoing the 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 uh, the, uh, the Egyptian version of Atlantis. There's sort of a similar version as told from those on the other side of the Atlantic. Um, 
And uh, um, sorry, I just lost my my. I had had a phone ringing here, and I lost my train of thought. Um, uh, where the term and, came oh, from sorry, in the call. And, yeah, and, right, sorry. And he used the term, uh, he came up with this term almost out of thin air. Um, this, I, I tried to do a little research on the etymology, and I, it seemed like just something that he sort of picked out, out, of, out of the air. But he talked about, and, and so did uh, Churchward, who, you know, he was the guy that proposed the, this, the idea of the lost continent of Mu uh, in the middle of the mm-hmm. Pacific. Um, and they, they believe that there was an ancient race of wise men that, that called the Naga, N-A-G-A, um, that ah, okay. uh, came from Mesoamerica. He, and they, they, they believe Mesoamerica was sort of the, 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 uh, the cradle of civilization. And they... They uh, migrated uh, both east and west. Um, and anyway, that's so he called, uh, he re- refers to these people as the Nakal. And so that, that's why I using that was not, I didn't want to tie it to Atlantis per se. I wanted it to be something that maybe might, might have been a little bit, uh, maybe even predating uh, and not only just predating, but also being something maybe, you know, more global in scope than just, you know, uh-huh. that, you know, that time and that place. So, uh, but it's arbitrary, you know. Um, you can call them. Um, yeah, I mean, some people like to think of them as the Nisidans, or uh, but that's again getting into this whole idea that it was a different species. And you know, and some people believe that they were aliens, that that they were you know ancient extraterrestrials that came here and they were responsible for for all of this, and you know, they were responsible for us. And um, well, it would make things a lot easier, is, wouldn't it? You know, a, a well, spaceship. You know, it, it's kind yeah. of like it got it got it got shipwrecked, and and its survivors created where we are today. I mean, that would explain it all. But it, it it's much more fun to think of a of a highly technological. I mean, actually, we've we have changed as we have evolved. So a highly technical culture um, could easily have been. Um, wiped out by the plague or or something like that, and that that the few remaining survivors just migrated to different parts of the planet and and started their own civilization. I mean, it, yeah. it could you know kind of kind of the easiest answer is often the one that you know is the most probable, but but you you get somebody who has technology above and beyond what most other people have i mean look at look at the coral castle now if if we had that technology that he used to build the coral castle and he he did say in his book that he used the same technology the egyptians used with building the pyramids it would make sense you know he was right. lifting massive stones is, now coral castle is where in Florida. Oh, okay. And have you are you familiar with it at all? No, who uh, no, I, I'm not. The Coral Castle is a uh, literally a castle that one man created and he lifted these huge boulders and whatever without a crane, without anything, but nobody saw him build it. And um 
he he was moving mammoth mammoth rocks and he carved these rocks all by himself the story goes he was building it for a lady who he was in love with who never came but but he built this castle anyhow and um it's built out of um very hard rock very heavy rock and um he had he had no power tools that i know of and yes, so he had, you know, he had the power he had the power of love <laughs> And that's a big power, yes, absolutely. Um, I'm sorry, I didn't mean but to he has. So, well, so that's okay. That he, he erected this. How did they get? How did he get the stones uh, erected and so forth? Nobody knows. He didn't Don't do it know. when anybody was watching. Nobody knows, mm. and to this day, it is a mystery. And um, you know, people tried to spy on him, and they think it had something to do with magnetism of a sort but he had no he had no cranes he had no bulldozers he had no plows he and and you know google it and take a look at it it's pretty amazing <laughs> but so so what i'm what i'm trying what i'm saying is that if you have that knowledge inside of you you can create amazing things and and he clearly had found uh, a secret that he took with him to the grave, unfortunately. But but when you talk about advanced civilizations and, and surviving with technology, you know, my big thing is, um, you know, you want to leave a record of some sort and and yet the record of of your existence has been turned into, if if in case this is the case, if in case your summation is appropriate, and I see no reason why it's not, then those survivors created the foundation of the mythology that has survived to this day. Mm-hmm. They were powerful. They, were, they had magical powers, and, and they became the Norse gods and the Greeks and the Roman gods. And, you know, they, they became... You know, probably it would horrify them if they were alive today to think of what they've done, what was done with their memory, so to speak. That that people did not understand them and therefore made them gods. And then when they were gone, they they elevated them even higher. I mean, that's a possibility. And and yet, their structures remain to be testimony to their ability to create things. Of immense beauty and 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 size, and you know, didn't bring their technology with them; just the memory of them as people. And 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 you know, and the reason that spiritual and uh, you know, esoteric and mythological uh, sources are so interesting is that you know, they this is exactly what they talk about that um, there were prior ages, you know, preceding us uh, in. The Iron Age was the Bronze Age and the Silver Age and the Golden Age. Or, you know, the different yugas were in the Kali Yuga, mm-hmm. but it all began during the Sat, Sat Yuga, the Golden Age, that where, you know, we lived to be thousands of years old and it was a life of, of uh, milk, you know, it was a land of milk and honey. And then it was a gradual decline in, 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 in morality, human morality, Life became harder, and it suggest and, and this is exactly the sort of thing you see reflected in uh, in the architecture that the oldest is the most sophisticated. 
So there's, there's mm-hmm. that it has to be an element of the explanation. It, it can't, it, it can't be ignored, but exactly how, what the right answer is, is, is still, um, still something that we're, we're trying to figure out. But at least, well, you know, yeah, you look I, at it. What I attend, yeah, and what I attempted to do in Atlantis is say, hey, look, there might actually be an archaeological uh, slash geometrical for going back more than 10,000 years. Because 10,000 years isn't enough. We kind of uh-huh. know what was going on 10,000 years ago. It's like, what's, what happened before that? Well, we don't have any real artifacts that we know of, but, but if these alignments turn out to be, if this turns out to be valid, then these alignments are testament to the age of these structures and to the ages uh, during which they were built. And I think that could be a new start for investigation. If that is provided that archaeologists and scientists or whoever's in charge want to do that. It, I, I think, you know, part of us, uh, part of our, our destiny as human beings is to remain in darkness. Uh, I mean, that, it certainly seems to be true for, a, uh, you know, part of, part of the population seems to be happy with fear and, uh, you know, fear and loathing in Las Vegas. Um, whereas, you know, <laughs> others are more interested in, in, in following the light and, and, and in lo- learning about things the way they really are and not being, um, you know, uh, you know, shedding this, this veil of darkness and illusion and, you know, the Maya, uh, and this, this plane that we exist in. And, uh, you know, knowledge is, is, is a way of doing it. And, you know, I don't know to, to what extent we'll be successful. Maybe some people will gain some insight and to the extent that's possible, then I think that justifies what we're doing because we're doing what we feel is necessary. But, you know, honestly, I feel almost like um, a bit of uh, a little passionate about it. It's like I'm going to throw it against the wall, and if it sticks, that's great. If it doesn't, you know, people don't, you know, buy it, then that's fine. I'm not, you know, I'm not going to try to convince them. But maybe there will be something in what I do because I've seen work others have done and that's given me clues and, you know, piecing, piecing it all together, maybe it'll lead, you know, eventually to some new hypotheses and some new insights. Oh, probably. And, you know, the purpose, my purpose of this show is to, you know, Nightlight is, it was not a random thought to call the show, is to provide a beacon of light and to put stuff out there. And, if we've only made one person think and question and research, then my work here is done. Um, yeah. It, it's sort of, you know, it's sort of like challenge. Ask why. I mean, you know, if you had an explanation of who and what God was and could convince me, my next question would be, and who made him? You know, That's it, right. it's it, yeah. it, it, it has to, you have yeah. to, you have to go further. You can't just sit back and say, "Okay, that was the end," and that or that was the beginning, because looking for the real beginning is fascinating. And and I think that you've you've absolutely given um, a terrific premise to look into and to investigate and to stretch. Because I am much more comfortable with seeing. The consciousness or the um, the the of a higher technology being spread than um, than a single island that sank in the in the Atlantic. It makes more sense to me that it was a consciousness rather than 
an island that that there was a higher technology and, and where did it come from it 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 appears that it came from mesoamerica but where did it come from before then but let's 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 validate that it existed yeah. first before we ask where they came from because that could be a spaceship who knows but um we we might have been a prison planet for all i know <laughs> but that's right but it 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 you know it and, and there there a long time ago was a theory that that life started here on this planet because a spaceship was going by and they dumped their um their 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 septic system and it landed on the planet and we are the result of the biological stuff that you know a passing spaceship dumped on us so you know there there are lots of different <laughs> Yeah, I read. I well, I read a story. Yeah. <laughs> but but I'll I'll, but I'll it, bet I'll bet that's that's a fancy that's so, that's a that's a less flattering uh, description of what you know the planetary scientists call panspermia, right? Yeah. Yes, but but you know sometimes the simplest answer is the logical one, but it it's it's sort of like you you. You know, come on, it could be as simple as that. And if it is, then who drove the spaceship and why? You know, I mean, it's, it's I want to know. I want to know where we come from. And I, I think we come from, we, we come from a, a seed, a source that had abilities far beyond what we have now. And if, if there is a link back to that culture, that species, I want to know how to turn on those aspects of my DNA so that I can reach into some of that information that is undoubtedly still there. Mm. So it's 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 kind of like it's it, in a way it's selfish. If I carry a source like that inside of me, I want to know how to access it. it it's like having a library and not having the and not being able to find the door. Mm-hmm. And. And my glasses, um, because both are required to to, to access information. But um, I know what you mean. I I, I think that yeah. that that you your your um, theory is amazing. I I I, I wish to heck that they had uncovered all twenty acres of of Gobekli Tepe, because then you'd really know what is the oldest, and then you'd be able to kind of play with it a little bit. But apparently they're saving the best for last, which just drives me crazy. I'd be in there with a shovel in a heartbeat. Um, <laughs> I just probably. I just, pro- I just think. I just think that uh, that it's it's just sort of the, like the latest. Uh, it it's uh, you know it's it's still relatively safe. It's it's a relatively safe hypothesis because it it keeps us you know ten thousand years ago. That's when a lot of st- stuff started popping on the planet. It's like it's still safe, but I don't know. I. Um, I, I, you know, I guess, you know, you have to kind of pick your, uh, you know, uh, pick your, not your, uh, what's, I'm trying to think of a good, uh, euphemism, but maybe, maybe, I, maybe there isn't one, but I, I just want to sort of focus on something maybe a little different because I, I think archaeologists are probably going to start, you know, embracing Go, go, yeah, Gobekli Tepe as a as sort of like now a default hypothesis, but mm-hmm. you know, like what you and I are talking, you know, the things we're talking about, it doesn't go back far enough. So, yeah, okay, that's a starting point, but uh, you know, it might be a bit of a, a not a red herring, but a distraction to think that we're going to learn everything we're going to need to uh, 
know from, from it. You know, I think we've got to look at other sites across the world. I think, um, uh, you know, they, they say even planetary scientists now are beginning to acknowledge the possibility that there might be evidence of, of extraterrestrial life on Mars, but it would be buried very deeply. And I, you know, and uh-huh. that's, that's the idea that the really interesting things I think on earth are going to be like anywhere else will be built, uh, will be uh, buried deeply because the oldest stuff is the deepest. And well, you know, so just, that's just like clams, in my research. every, every grain of knowledge in a clam eventually over a long period of time for the clam creates a pearl. And mm-hmm. and so you've got little pieces of grains of wisdom here, and over time, I'm sure that they will they will they will create a pearl of wisdom of some sort that that leads someone to a deeper understanding, who will then turn around and say, "And what came before this?" <laughs> right. Hopefully, right. there's never. Hopefully there's never an end to it. I just noticed the time, and I do apologize. You did ask for a break, and I didn't give it to you. Um, no, it's fine. It's, it's okay. Well, I'm good. <laughs> I I want to thank you so much. This was so much fun, and, and, and your book was, I mean, it, it's it's not a long book, but it holds so much material that you have to go back and reread and reread, and and um, highly recommend it. It's on Amazon, and and. Your website, I've. It was. I'm sorry. You want to tell me your website again? I didn't write it down here. Yeah, it's it's, it's beforeatlantis.com. One one word. Okay. And uh, there's 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 a lot of articles. There's a lot of a lot of information on the website. And if people, you know, you know, they don't want to buy the book, you know, that's fine. They can get a lot of information on the website and they get a pretty good idea of of what it's all about from from that. So. The the book is a great read. I, t- I highly Thank recommend you. it. Um, Thanks, and the pictures, the, the graphics are gorgeous, too. Um, but I, I want to thank you again. And we'll talk again, I'm sure. So thank you so much for being here. And, and thank you, everybody, for listening and, and sharing. I hope that we have challenged you and enlightened you. And, you know, if you, if you don't agree, find research and prove it wrong. And if you, if you do agree, research it and get enlightened, what, whatever, whatever floats your boat. But um, the important thing is question things, challenge things, investigate things. Don't let a a textbook determine the limits of your potential. So um, that said, thank you, everybody, for being here. Thank you, Mark, again. You've been amazing. And um, tune in tomorrow. And also follow us on YouTube and um, Rumble. We're on Rumble now. And... uh, If you like what you see, please uh, subscribe or or follow, whichever is appropriate on either of those. Look forward to hearing from you because if you don't let us know you're out there, um, we'll keep talking anyhow, but it's nice to know you're there. Take care, everybody. Have a great one.